Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, all the wrestling fans around the world, or at least in, in our country and probably just our state. Welcome back to the Armchair Booking Podcast. My name is Steve, and this is my co-host, Kyle. Say hello, Kyle. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. And tonight, we are going to be discussing what we feel are the top ten wrestling stables and factions. But before we start... I just want to remind everybody, if you need to get to any information to us, if you want to suggest any topics for the shows, please email us at armchairbookingpodcast at gmail.com. You can also connect to us on Facebook at facebook.com slash armchairbookingpodcast. And we're also on Twitter at bookingarmchair. And you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on, on Stitcher. And hopefully soon you can find us on iHeartRadio. Kyle, have I forgotten anything? No, I think you've covered everything. All right. Old age hasn't gotten to, back to me that bad yet. So, all right. So, the top ten wrestling stables and factions. Wow, and this was, this was actually a pretty good one, and we were just discussing how some of the names that we came up with we had not heard in a very long time. Um, you know, but this was actually kind of a fun one to do, and we actually, for once, agree on most of them. It's <laughs> truly shocking, our one and two match. Yeah. And then our three, four, and five are really three, three, and five. Yeah. Uh, ranked within one or two points of one another. So our, our top five, pretty, pretty solid. Our remaining list, uh, kind of shocking where – where both of us went for uh, some of our choices. Yeah, I was kind of surprised you didn't have some of them on yours, but you were kind of surprised you got some of the ones that I had, and, you know, this ought to be fun. Uh, so, so we should have a good, very good time tonight. We define a stable, uh, obviously, as more than three, three or more people. Well, we say that. Now, there's some that are kind of... Um, I don't have one that has less than three people. Um, maybe. But there's one that's known for three people, but with another one added later on. Um, right. And, and some people will debate on that one. But, you know, just for the sake of this, I mean, hey, they, they say that the person's there, so we'll just... Go and agree with them. We're not going to argue with them. It's it's their stable. So you know, the the one thing is, you go back in wrestling history. There, not a lot of stables before the eighties. No, there's not. I mean, they had like some kind of faction, sort of, but it was just people just kind of teaming up. They didn't really call them stables. They kind of had. Um, families, sort of, but they didn't really function the way they did later on. So before we get into the number 10 choice, Kyle, go ahead and take a commercial break and get ourselves kind of mentally ready for this road, right? Ready and, and break. And we are back. Okay, Kyle, so... I think you know more about number 10 than what I do. So I will let you go ahead and announce who 
the number 10 stable slash faction so is. No, number 10 is actually a surprise. So we we covered all the wrestling federations for the most part. And this comes from Total Impact Wrestling or TNA Wrestling, Impact Wrestling. And this is the main event mafia. When Impact was on Spike, you have the main event mafia where you have Scott Steiner, you have Booker T and Charmel doing the King Booker stuff, really. You have Kevin Nash, Kurt Angle, and Sting. And they later add Samoa Joe. This was the best thing on DNA Wrestling for quite a while. Nothing nothing cool, uh, honestly. I know they did house shows where the main event mafia in different forms performed in my area, so I went. I have photos with some of them. But the most entertaining thing on Impact Television, they won tag team championships. They won the TNA Legends Championship and two world championships out of the stable run of about 18 months. So there's not a lot of successful things that came out of TNA as a group. You have AJ Styles and all those those guys that have gone on to do great things. But Main Event Mafia, definitely, if you're, you were watching TNA, that was that was must see TV. Yep, and I didn't really know a lot about them, and they were a name that when I was looking up all the stables, it, it, the name actually popped up, and I was like, okay, let me see who's in it. And then as soon as I saw who was in it, I was like, holy crap! Yeah, they've got to go on the list. And then, um, and it was because they were all former world champions, or at least all former and then one future world champion. Yeah, they, uh, the main event Mafia, they actually did a spoof of that. They ended up being a lawsuit here locally on our radio station and did the Main Street Mafia with the music and everything. <laughs> and TNA actually sued them for it be- mm. because they got more followers than their show. <laughs> Whoops. But uh, another good thing about the main event mafia is their theme song. So they, they had very good theme music for impact wrestling. And heels eventually put over the baby faces at the end, which is the, the point of a stable. Yes. Well, heel stable anyway. So, very good, um, memorable thing from TNA Wrestling. And then, uh, shockingly, we pretty much agree on number nine 
Yeah, because I I had I had number nine at uh, number ten, and you had them at, at number nine. So I mean, we agree. Um, in fact, the main event mafia, I had them at eight, you had them at ten. So those those were also really close. Or I'm sorry, that's how many points they have. In case you know people don't understand our point system yet. Um, but either way, they were all they were real close. But number nine, um, and this is a group which I feel has always been overlooked. But I enjoyed them immensely, and that's Raven's Flock. With Raven was the absolute head of it. And ECW, right? They started ECW, and then I actually watched them more in WCW. Um, When Raven was doing the What About Me, What About Raven, they kind of of had the grunge look. This is around 97, 98. Uh, Raven was the U.S. champion for a bit. Um, he had Lodi, he had Sick Boy, he had Ron Reese. Uh, he just it had all these guys. Um, let's see, Van Hammer, because Van Hammer all of a sudden went from being kind of a fake metal guy to being kind of a fake grunge guy. Even though I will say on WCW NWA Revenge, on that video game, he was probably one of the best ones to use. But anyway. <laughs> uh, you had uh, Stevie Richards? Yes. Well, before he, what was he, failed a physical? He was not. He couldn't get medically cleared. He hurt his neck. Yeah. Perry Saturn is another one. Yes, love Perry Saturn. Horace Hogan, Billy Kidman. Yeah, listen to these names. I mean, they're not main event, main event. Main. Well, Perry Saturn was pretty borderline. I think Perry Saturn could have, you know, been at the top of the card had he not ran into some issues in WWE later on. Um. But they weren't, like, main event names, but, I mean, they were pretty tough as a team. You know, that's where the whole is definitely better than the sum of the parts. You know, and I thought they were good, like one of those, if you're fighting one, you're fighting all. When Raven wrestled, you fought all. Yes. But when they wrestled individually, they really didn't interfere with each other's matches. This... Uh... This version, Billy Kidman broke out of it. Perry Saturn broke out of it. But everyone else was kind of enhancement. And it's good for the enhancement talent to be part of a group like this because they had a leader. They could have been better. And I remember the flock most because Goldberg destroyed them all. Yeah, he did. And he picked up Ron Reese, and he did the jackhammer on on Ron Reese, and that was one of those holy crap moments. He went through the flock as part of the streak, (laughs) like one by one for a couple matches until he got to Raven and became the U.S. champion. And then the flock kind of – it never had a real finish because Raven got out of his contract and went back to ECW. I think Raven, he's another one that's just so underrated, and he was so good at everything. Because you think about this, not only was he, was he was a pretty decent wrestler, he was a really good promo. He, he was also an announcer for a while. He was a manager for a while. Um, and I'm talking about like Scott Levy, the person, not just Raven, you know, the character. You know, because he yep. was the man, manager for... Um, what the Quebecers, you know, as, as well as, you know, the manager of the flock. 
I despised him as Johnny Polo. <laughs> but but. I, I, will, I will tell you that as Raven, one of the best character transformations ever in wrestling. Mm-hmm. And having followers like that was perfect for his gimmick in ECW and WCW. Yes. Because it was the ECW flock fiction angle the same we talked about this episode. Which takes us to um, another one we agree on. We agree exactly on this one. And this is the WWF Keenan family. Yes, even though the Heenan family really goes back quite a ways, uh, but the one we're really focusing on, like you said, is the one in, in the WWF. Um, and Bobby Heenan, when he put together his family, he did not like using the word stable. He said it makes him sound like horses. You know, you look at, I mean, he had every title, uh, or at least at one point, because he had the world champion with Flair. Um and also, well, Andre, you know, for in all of a minute. Um, but he had the tag team champions with the Brain Busters, and then again with Andre and Haku. And then the Intercontinental Champion with Mr. Perfect, Kurt Hennig. And well, he also these guys, had King Rick Rude. Yes, Intercontinental Champion. And, you know, these guys want enhancement. Like, you know, talking about Ravens Flock, I mean, these guys, like you said, you know, they were more or less enhancement talent, but they had somebody – that can kind of guide them along. These guys were not enhancement. And they had Bobby the Brain or Bobby the Weasel, depending on which side of the fence you're on. And well, take Heenan. Uh, how many different WrestleManias did his people main event? Because you got two and three at the height of the Heenan family. They were featured in four. They were in multiple points of number five. And then he he really, before Flair, Flair was like his last managed, managing experience. Like, uh, right. he was Flair at the Rumble, and then he kind of went into commentating. How many different angles? Like, he was the villain for Hogan. For four years, like nonstop. Um, if you just include the WWF, uh, let's see, from run '84, that's when Hogan won the title. Through let's see, '85, '86, '87, '90 is when WrestleMania VI happened. So, so there, there's six years right there, and it instantly. You have a Heenan, um, Andre the Giant solidified his heel turn by coming out with Bobby Heenan. Yep. And needed it because of the language barrier. But what what a promo. And even with the Red Rooster, who was a jabroni. (laughs) Well, that was was Miss Lisa Talent right there, but... 
who he turned into the Brooklyn Brawler, who's the ultimate enhancement talent, his star value increased because he was with Bobby Heenan. Yeah, gave him credibility. Taking us to the glorious number seven. Glorious number seven. <laughs> um, and speaking of some veterans taking a, a young man under their wing and turning him to a superstar, Evolution. And for, you know, for the biggest names ever in the sport, you know, starting with the young buck at the time, Randy Orton, and then the next right. youngest, who I believe the next youngest would have to be Batista. No, then, Batista. Well, Batista's older than us. Well, well, me. at least. Well, I think experience-wise, though, um, I don't think he was experienced though as Hunter. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, now just known as Triple H. Oh no, but age-wise, they're but age-wise, yeah. Um, and then, of course, the man, the real world's champion. Ric Flair. And so admittedly, you know, Flair had actually taken kind of a step down from where he had been for, you know, two decades, basically, where he was always either holding the world title or chasing the world title. And this, um, now all of a sudden he's holding one half of the tag team champions, which I thought was pretty cool. I am not America's biggest fan of Triple H. I'm not either, but that's more of a personal thing. And in this case, of all the people on the list, this is the WWE's version of the Four Horsemen. And Ric Flair was Ole Anderson, J.J. Dillon, mixed into one. But except, for that being, the, except for that being all, all salty like Ole. Right. Batista was the enforcer, Orton was the young star, and Triple H and his large ego was um, was the Ric Flair. Well, you got to. I think it's, it's the nose. I, I I did not like this stable at the time. I liked the way they broke up. I honestly, I think they're as a whole the success of all the members, but to launch Randy Orton. Yeah, because when you look at Randy Orton, just think about what two days ago he's still in the main event of SummerSlam. Right. You know, this is what fifteen years after the after all this. And he he was in a lot of trouble at that period. Like like the promo said, he he was he was a little bit of a troublemaker back then. So he was a little bit of, yeah, he was a little bit of a troublemaker before he got into wrestling. But but the breakup angle when Batista broke away from the group, leading into WrestleMania 21 angles WWE did. When he turned on Rick Fl- uh, Rick Flair and Triple H to sign the contract to face Triple H at WrestleMania, like that—that's one of the loud loudest crowd reactions 
on on Raw. And it it made Batista a star and a Hall of Famer. Uh, honestly. And it may have gotten him on his way to Hollywood where her, now he's, that his name, or Dax? Drax, Dax, Stax, Stax on Dax. I just watched a movie with Batista called My Spy on Amazon. Oh, you'll have to let me know how, how that one is. I've actually, uh, actually been interested in that one. It, it's it's a pretty decent movie. Uh, o- overall, um, I can tell you about it during the next break, which should be right about now. All right, and we're back. So moving on to number six. And well, I was going to say number six. This one, actually, I've. Um, we're talking about this group would it wouldn't be the original incarnation of it because the original incarnation was just the tag team, right. but then later on they reformed and they added literally some family members. So we're talking about the Heart Foundation. I know other groups and other wrestlers get more credit, Stone Cold being one of them, but the Heart Foundation and the anti-American stuff starting from the end of 96 all the way to WrestleMania 13 to when Bret Hart departed. What television? Like the original formation the night after WrestleMania 13 when Bret Hart comes comes out and convinces Davy Boy and Owen to join him. And then you have Anvil, because why not? Yeah. Well, I mean, you're a brother-in-law. <laughs> and then you add Brian Pillman. At one point, every person in that group had a title. And that's one of the things that I was really basing my rankings on. I don't know if you were doing the same thing, but I was actually looking at, okay, what titles did they hold? You know how many how many did they hold? You know how long did they hold them? And, and was it did they kind of have a stranglehold on the title? In the Hart Foundation, I mean, they did. You know, um, with Bret holding the world title and then Owen holding, you know, the European title, um, and you know, with them also, uh, who was holding the tag team titles at the time? I don't think they won the tag team. No, titles. Okay, not as this, but not because uh, Bret and. Bretton, uh, Jim, they had won them years prior, but... A.P. Boy and Owen won them, but at the time, Owen was the Intercontinental Champion. A.P. Boy was the European Champion. But they came out unified, so it was singular theme music. A well-oiled team group. And all you need to do is watch In Your House Canadian Stampede and just wow. The Canadian reaction, the crowd reaction to that and Stone Cold was like over. Like unbelievable. Not in Canada. Less in Canada. But (laughs) But in Canada, Canada is all about the hearts. 
you that that reaction with Brett winning at SummerSlam, just un great television. Like it was a shame it had to end at Survivor Series during the Montreal screw job. Yep. But this is a faction historically how terrible is it that when you look at the Hart Foundation, four of those guys are dead. I mean, that... it, it's unbelievable to sit and watch some of these events and like four of the Hart Foundation was dead. Road Warrior Hawk from the Canadian Stampede add to that. That's half the main event. Were you at work the night that Owen had his, his accident? We Did... were watching on pay-per-view illegally. Was... Okay. But I was, at, I was actually at work. So you, you must have had Sunday nights off either, or you just took that night off. I had Sunday nights off. Okay. Because I remember seeing it flash across the news because you remember in the um, – when we – Huh? In one of the environments that shall not be named, because yeah, we are not. Well, well, the office when you first walked in there, they had that big TV, and they usually had CNN on. And that's where it it had flashed across the the ticker, and I was just like, "Holy crap!" You know, but that's one of the but, things. Even now, watching Owen, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to watch him just because you know that's the first thing I think about. Overall, like, what a collection of talent. Yes. Versus our number five, essential three-man stable. Plus one. Plus one. (laughs) This is one, one, three plus one. WWE Hall of Famers drew money everywhere they went. The fabulous freeboarders. That's saying drew heat everywhere they went. Or as you hey, also say, they, yeah, they're, they were there for a cup of coffee. But they uh, legendary feud with the Von, Von Erichs down in Texas. Feuds in Mid-South Wrestling, WF, uh, WCW, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. Kind of choked it in WWF. But <laughs> you had a worker in Buddy Jack Roberts. You had a bully and an unbelievable big man in Terry Bam Bam Gordy. Yeah, and that, that dude was something else. And walking slime, the wrestling professional wrestling's worst dresser. <laughs> but the talker. Michael Tease. And, you know, one of the reasons why they got over so well is because they lived their gimmick. And Without question. Yep. And Michael Hayes, he's another one of those. Um, a lot of his stuff behind the scenes or, or even, if you want to say, outside of the ring gets overlooked uh, because, I mean, he's been working behind the scenes with the WWE for, since since he came in there and named himself Doc Hendricks, he cut his hair off, 
and shaved his beard and just had that, that silly looking mustache. Um, and still live in the free bird gimmick. Yeah. Um, but he, so that was in 96 that he, um, that he showed up in the, in the WWF and, and he hasn't left. But even before that though, you could say he was, he may have been an inspiration for Chris Jericho because like the Freebirds, the what the Richards music may have been the song Freebird at the beginning, Skinnered, which right. to me is kind of an odd choice for, you know, entrance music, you know. But then when he recorded Bad Street USA, oh, that man. that song is fire. I don't I don't care who you are, somebody could re-record that song right now and I would buy it because it was kind of kind of hair bandish a little bit, but it had a, a Pretty nasty riff, and it, oof. Theme music wise, revolutionary, but matching outfits. The Freebird Rule is named named after him. How and great is that? And that's why I have them so high up. Um, is because um, their longevity and their legacy is still holding on. And we're we're actually forgetting one. We haven't mentioned the plus one. Well, the plus one I was getting to, Jimmy Jam Garvin, and this is from the last, the WCW iteration. Like, I I don't remember him being much in other territories. Um, In world world class he was, he was kind of a hanger-on. In a way, he would hang out with them. He would be like, you know, if they needed another partner. If they're doing like eight man tags, or if they're doing uh, two different tag team matches, he would be with them. Fit their persona as well, except for he didn't have the Confederate flag. That was about the only difference. Yeah, and good wrestler, obviously a pilot now. Yeah, but uh, remember Jimmy Jam with Michael P. S. Hayes in the WCW version at the end, where they were tag team champions, U.S tag team champions as well. And you had uh, Bam Bam Gordy, but you never really saw Buddy Jack in at the end. Uh, I think Buddy had retired because, I mean, he, he did start having some health issues. I mean, he apparently dude was a chain smoker. Oh, and he, you know, and I think he actually died of lung cancer. Um, yeah, and his son, Slam Master Jay, or um, didn't he um, – it was Ray Gordy that was Bam Bam's son. Yes. And Buddy Jack had a son that wrestled as well, but never really made it. Yep. And Buddy Jack, I know he was um, – or Buddy Jack, he was put with them to kind of – as a veteran, kind of lead them along, like kind of early in their career, because they actually didn't recruit him. He was – thrown with them by the promoters, I think, in world class. But he no, was a wrestler. Or was it Bill Watts? And it was. Um, Bam Bam Gordy started wrestling at 14. Yeah, he, I know. Yeah, he was young. But he was so, also, he also got married young, too. So he had something to support his family. And uh, Michael P.S. Hayes was also young. So they needed a veteran to, like, take him around. Now, 
the Freebird lifestyle with the Jack and the whiskey, like they lived it without question. Yeah. And Michael Hayes is still living it, but Paul <laughs> yeah. can't dispute it. And like multiple, multiple time tag team champions in all the way AWA, WCW, um, Mid South, WCCW. Like if they would have been WWF tag team champions, they'd be, be looked at as one of the best tag teams of all time. But we'll always have the freeboard rule. And surprisingly, we did not have the new day. I thought about it, but then I thought if they had one more person, I would have put them on there. I, I, I too was close, but impact wise, um, honestly, they should be ranked higher. They should get an honorable mention at least, uh, because I think historically, especially for the minority wrestler, what they're doing is, um, is groundbreaking. But, but we we not list them because they're three what I think they're four three years together four years together yeah um so I think they're still building their legacy oh oh yeah I mean they they've got a long way to go they're not gonna I don't think they're gonna be going anywhere anytime soon so and I and I think they should maybe add somehow add a fourth person if it's possible but um. But then again, if they do too many people, they may end up like our next group. <laughs> That's a nice cycle. And, and the New World Order, and actually I will say they tied for number three. So we can't say the number four. They actually tied for number three. But this will be our first number three, the New World Order. And when I say them, I, I can say, of course, Hogan, Nash, Hall, and I'll throw six in there as well because six actually went to the Hall of Fame with them. Um, um, but if, if I had to name every order, if I had to name every every single member of the New World Order, we'd be here all night. Because no, it, got, it got ridiculous. You can't forget Buck, Buck Bagwell. Oh, I can. I can. I can try to forget him. Eric Bischoff. Well, Bischoff, and, yeah, because Bischoff did end up kind of – Coming kind of the leader. You had DBS. You had Dusty Rhodes. Dusty Rhodes joined them, which I can't figure that out. Kurt Henning, like I, New World Order, like with without a doubt, WCW does not win the ratings war for eighty three weeks without the New World Order, and that's why they are up so high on this list is because the absolute impact. They made not just WCW, but to the wrestling world as a whole. But they did have eternal flaws, and they never put anyone over cleanly. So the the good guys never won. And they should have been dissolved in 98 at Starcade with Hogan and Sting. That was 96. 97. Yeah. I missed 
I was in basic training. Um, that should have been the it for the New World Order. But it carried on for two more years. Well, remember they split off into the, the red and black and the white and black. And they reformed. Yeah, they reformed with the finger poke of doom. And honestly, that was when I was like, are you kidding me? They really, they really did that because I actually had Monday nights off at the time. And I was like, they really just gave the title back to Hogan and reformed another trying to go back. Yeah, I'm done. <laughs> Which, <laughs> it, it, it makes sense. You put the title on Hogan, you have Goldberg go through the NWO. It's not their fault that Goldberg hurt himself punching through the limousine window. But at the end of the day, they always like dissolved. They didn't. They didn't put anyone over. Not really. Because well, Goldberg they put over. Because I think that would have been a riot if they didn't. Um, Hyper sort of, but it wasn't for the title. So H- Hogan put Goldberg over. Okay. Uh, Scott Hall put Goldberg over. But as far as the group, who did they really put over? Like, Piper was already a star. They destroyed the Horsemen. How many different towns? Like, I don't know if you remember watching that War Games where they decapitated Ric Flair. I didn't watch it live. I I was was probably at work. Um, But... You end up killing WCW's greatest town, Greensboro. How do you do that? Like, it, it made sense in Kurt Henning turning. It did, but not the way they did it, though. It, as if you didn't do enough with the Horseman parody of Arn Anderson's retirement. I actually was watching that night, um, and that one made me mad. So you you have that, and at the same time, our tie for number three is the WWF response to the New World Order, and that's D-Generation X. Which, who actually have a common member. With six, our X-Pac. Or Sean Waltman, or One, Two, Three Kid, or as I, I, I liked him as... The Lightning Kid, first time I ever watched him in Global Wrestling Federation. Yep. And, and, and dude was good. He, he was, but the whole the whole thing, um, WWF at the time needed to get edgier. So Shawn Michaels, Triple Juvenile, and can't forget China. But we start out with the juvenile humor, and it was funny. I mean, I laughed. And I I was practically a kid, laughed at all sorts of penis and sex jokes. So, I mean, it was funny. But you take that, then you have the full version after Shawn Michaels leaves for injury with Triple H, China, Waltman, and the New Age Outlaws. They did some of the funniest stuff ever doesn't 
keep well, like their skit on the nation of domination, probably not. No, it doesn't. <laughs> that one, I'm, I but, was even like, how did they get away with it even then? It was, it was his thing. What you cooking, Rock? It sure smells good. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, well, it's one thing if you're making fun of somebody's voices, but with them coming out there in blackface, you know, that didn't. Yeah, I, I'm surprised they got away with it then. They really wouldn't get, be able to get away with it now. So you you, you have that um, longevity. D-Generation X uh, with Triple H and Shawn Michaels at the end. One one of the top grossing merchandise groups ever. So that NWO shirt you still see. Yeah. D-Generation X shirts you still see in some form. They were absolute absolutely brilliant when it came to merchandise. Well, not only that, but their slogan, and I'm not going to say it because I'm trying to keep it family friendly, but their slogan, you also still hear, or at least you used to before when we actually had crowds, they still say their slogan. There's a certain Canadian shift supervisor that was told their slogan to some terrible things she did to several of your groomsmen. (laughs) <laughs> but really oh yeah see I I got along with her I know we're kind of getting off topic but I got along with her you know so I, I know our, like one of our best friends really didn't care for her too much and but. neither did so um, that that slogan came in very handy and there were t-shirts and other memorabilia that could say, oops, I accidentally left it on my desk, but sure, you can keep it. I just slogan, and if you went to a live event, when they first started, that's when all the girls would lift their shirts up in, in the crowd. So they, they had a whole thing going, and they, they were trying to be overly edgy. But B Generation X, like when they came out, like all sorts of stuff would happen in the crowd. Well, I think they're another group. I don't, I can't really say they necessarily lived their gimmick though, because, um, yeah, Triple H, um, he's actually a teetotaler. I don't think a lot of people uh, even know that. You know, so he's not really a party guy. Sean was at the time, you know, and, um, and I believe Road Dog. Well, his arrest record actually shows that. Yeah, he was kind of a partier at the time. He was uh, a party. Billy Gunn um, could handle his own, but he he partook. And, and he's a a lot bigger man than he appears to be. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've seen a lot of the other or heard a lot of the other podcasts talk about, they say, you put him next to Hulk Hogan, he is every bit as big as Hulk Hogan, but he's not advertised as such. No. But one guy that never broke out and became a star out of the group. So Road Dog was always going to be mid-card, 
won the IC title, Billy Gunn should have broken out and been a world champion and just couldn't I do it. I don't think it was going to happen for medical reasons. Um, the The reason why Billy Gunn is a – he was always a tag team specialist, and he was very good, and he was a good singles wrestler. Don't get me wrong. But the problem is uh, Billy Gunn has asthma. Yeah. That's and that's why he was always put in tag teams was because he needed he literally needed to take a breather, you know, um, you know because he so it, unfortunately I mean for him he he could never be like a Ric Flair and go sixty minutes in there, I mean it could literally kill him, yeah, you know so they always had him in tag teams. I mean and he had he, he had a good look I mean he had good skills, you know, um, and. And of course, now he's worked with AEW. I believe his son is there as well, isn't he? Yeah, his son's there. Um, I think you see him on AEW Dark. Okay. Um, but you have that. Um, this takes us to number two. And this was actually a surprise that we agreed on this because I think it's the most underrated stable in wrestling. Yeah, they are, they are always overlooked. And that is Paul E. Dangerously's Dangerous Alliance from WCW. Now listen to this group. Yes. You have Rick Rude as the, the main event guy. Stunning Steve, not Stone Cold. Stunning Steve Austin. With his blonde hair, long blonde hair. Long blonde hair as the incoming new guy. Uh, the up-and-comer. Tag-team-wise, you have Arn Anderson and Larry Sabisco. And then for fun, you put in Bobby Eaton. You have Paulie Dangerously as the mouthpiece, and you have Medusa as the valet. So you have television champion. U.S. champion, WCW international heavyweight champion. You have uh, well, World tag, tag, team, tag team champions twice, actually. Um, you had Anderson and Zabisco, and you had Anderson and Bobby Eaton. Uh, and for a year, they were only around for a year. But what an impact they made on WCW television. And um, put over, was it the dudes with attitudes that they ended up facing? But um, I, I know they broke up after a war games when Mary Sabisco quit. Yeah, because they they blamed him because he swung the they had unscrewed the turnbuckle. He swung it at somebody, ended up hitting Bobby Eaton instead, and they they put Bobby Eaton in the armbar, you know, with the broken arm, the quote unquote broken arm, um, and so they kicked out. You know, well they kicked kicked out Zabesco anyway. Stable ended up like breaking up, but Paulie got fired. And it, it kind of had its had its run at that point. 
and he started up ECW, but unbelievable stable of talent. Yeah, I mean that. You just look. You just look at those names. Because I'm looking at it right now on the Wikipedia page where they they also have Michael P. S. Hayes listed as a manager. I'm guessing once Paul E. left. Um. You know, because even throwing Medusa in there, because. You know, you wouldn't want to tangle with Medusa. No, Medusa would mess you up. Yes, she would. Um, so you have. Uh, it was Sting Squadron that he ended up putting in the over war games. in the War Games, and it was a good War Games match. But it is time for another break, man. Yeah, we got to take another break before we get to our honorable mentions and then our number ones. So we will catch you back here as soon as the commercial break is over. And now it's over. So, Kyle, before we get to our number one, I want to mention um, some of the honorable mentions, and these are ones that we both voted on, but they did not make the top ten. Um, one of these we actually mentioned in a conversation earlier, and that'd be the Nation of Domination, led uh, more or less by Farouk, even though The Rock <laughs> you know, was kind of jumping in there. Um, because this was when Rock was really, really starting to break out on his own as part of this, because Rock, he's too big to be part of the group. I mean, he just really is. I remember the nation, and, and they were good as, with Farouk as the leader, but I think most people remember Rock uh, after yes. Farouk got kicked out. And one of the reasons why I also couldn't rank them higher is because they may have been dominating other wrestlers. However, they were not dominating titles. No. And, and I don't know if they dominated. I know they they were very formidable. Yes. But I don't pushed. Um, Rocky was pushed. Mark Henry wasn't ready. Diesel kind of got pushed down because of the accident with draws. And then Rocky turned good, and then he went to the the corporation. But I think the most notable honorable mention is actually New Japan's Bullet Club. Yep, New Japan, or where are they at now? Um, are they in Impact no, as well? No, this is still New Japan. This are we still this, saying New Japan? Okay. New Japan is the only group that has the Bullet Club that's trademarked to them. But ah. you're referring to Gallows and Anderson. AJ well, Gall- Spot was and, part of the And, um, um, oh, my God, uh, Finn Balor. Was the original member. Haku's two sons are part of the group. Bad Luck Fallet. Adam and see, Cole. It, and see, that's another group that it's it's so hard to keep the track of all the members. Basically, if you are a foreign American wrestler at one point, it seems like they put you in with the Bullet Club. I would just say foreign because Finn Balor, he's Irish. So at the time, foreign foreign wrestlers, the Gaijin, 
basically the the white dudes were all thrown into a group, and, and then you added the Samoans, and they have dominated New Japan for eight years now. And well, I I just got to say, and before we, we, because we do got to get to our number one, if you want to buy Bullet Club t-shirts, you can actually go to the local, local wrestling organization here, because it's where either Anderson or Gallows started. And they still sell Bullet Club shirts at their events. But But, no surprise for our number one. You have to, the number one stable is the originator. Yes, and I'm not even going to say do a drum roll because if people don't know who we're talking about already, you know, they should just, just slap yourself in the head right now. The number one stable of all time is the Four Horsemen. And, uh-huh. and we, I don't even want to say the just the original because, I mean, I'll go with the original of Flair, Anderson, Anderson, Blanchard. You know, or Flair, Anderson, Wyndham Blanchard. You know, um, either one of them. Luger, eh, not so much. But I mean, they they weren't that horrible because you still had, you know, Flair. You still had Arn Anderson. You still had Tony Blanchard. I I enjoyed the Luger version. I enjoyed the Wyndham version. I ain't even gonna say Paul Roma was a bad horseman. Uh, Paul Roma, though, his, his ego, I mean, he thought he was bigger than the Horseman. Yes, he did. But at the time, he fit, and it was all right. Like, it would have been better. But the the quintessential heel group, the originators of a stable, uh, and happened by accident. This is organically formed in a, from a promo. Because yeah. they were wrestling combined matches. So it's something the fans responded to that created the group, not four random dudes that were thrown together and say, here, we're going to call you Retribution and see how many people can change the channel. Uh, yeah, I'm getting so sick of the Retribution <laughs> junk. Anyway, this is the best of the best. The highlights of the night when you knew a horseman was on the card, you watched because yes. it was going to be good. It was going to be good. They lived their gimmick. You know, they held all the titles, so they had all the credibility. And they just ran over everybody. They said, okay, we're going to come take your title. Then Arn Anderson had some of the best promos ever. Fact, all four of them, all four of the original ones. You know what? You put give any one of them the mic, and they'll talk you into the building. Because Ole yeah. Anderson, Ole Anderson, I mean, he's another one. When he did his promos, he didn't yell and scream and shout. I mean, he just said it blunt. He said, "We're going to break your arm." I said, "We are going to break your arm." And you know, you'll see. We're gonna. We're, it, it's going to happen. Arn. I mean, he just. Arn has that nice southern way of just coming up with something just right off the right off the cuff. It just. It doesn't make any sense to some people who've never been to South, but it makes sense to me. <laughs> you know, like it, every promo, like everything they did, made sense. The Horsemen, and I don't know how they did this, maintained being over, even though they put 
over more people than probably any stable on this list. Yes. And that heel face, however you did it, um, they they put butts in the seats. They brought eyes to the television. And to this day, you still hear woos. And if you're a wrestling fan, you know what four fingers mean. Yes. And it's been 30-plus years since that group was at its peak. And there will never be another one. Like, I don't care how many. Everyone else. Of, yeah, everybody else is just, you know, they're all fighting for second place. That's what it comes down to. You know, so. so well, next week, uh, what are we talking about there, Steve? Uh, well, it's almost on the anniversary. But uh, August 29, 1992. Uh SummerSlam, 1992, in Wembley Stadium in London, main event, Bret Hart, British Bulldog, Intercontinental title, and plus a pretty pretty decent undercard as well. But pretty we'll be, decent Yeah. Savage, Ultimate Warrior for the heavyweight title. Uh, the other thing, the last match of Road Warrior Hawk before he was... Before he left for a while. So the the kind of the end, the first end of the Road Warriors. Yep. But lot, lots of great matches, good card to discuss. It was just on free television last week. It was, wasn't it? So relevant and uh, another event where it's going to be hard to watch because so many wrestlers are gone. Yes, including Kamala. Kamala was also on that card against The Undertaker. Yep. So, all right, my friend, until then, I will talk at you. We'll have to get uh, hit up with each other this week to discuss these things. All right. All right, dude. We'll see you.